Today, we're going to focus on marriage, okay? In Marriage 101, and I put it in the bulletin, I wasn't going to really name it anything, but I thought, let's just start with the basics. And for me, the basics started 20 years ago. How many think that's a long time? I do. A long time. I mean, and then think of how young we were when we got married. Jessica, nine years old, 29 now. I mean, just what, what about that? And, uh, and, <laughs> and we don't advise getting married that young, kids. <laughs> but uh, it just is what it happened the way it is. Our first year of marriage, uh, we went right from being married to school uh, to college. I was halfway through. And seriously, we thought that first couple years that we may have made a mistake. I take the blame most of all. I was extremely selfish. I'm still somewhat selfish. I'm still working on that. I'm a work in progress. Um, but we, uh, I had never lived with anybody, but there was a lot of crazy in our first two years and uh, a little unsanctified. If, I, if we were a uh, fly on the wall, um, there were things thrown. We have a remote control that's broken into pieces that we keep as a memorial. No, just kidding. We, uh, it, that did go flying, didn't hit me, thankfully. Um, but there were forks and spoons and no knives thrown. And uh, it just was the way it was. How many have been there? You know, marriage is tough, especially when you're young and uh, never lived with anyone else. Uh, and so that was good. And we were grateful for a good church, a good connect group. It was called Sunday School, but um, we had a young married Sunday School that was great, helpful. And I graduated two years later, and I thought, get a master's degree. I just keep on going. And Jessica said, no way. It's time for you to work, son. And so <laughs> uh, I got my first job in Dayton, Ohio, ended up there. And within the first two years at... Um, at Dayton, at Bethel Christian, um, my pastor pulled me into the office one day, and he said, how are you and Jessica doing? And I said, fine, no problems, right? And essentially, what I remember him saying, and I don't know if he said this verbatim, he says, if you want to work here, you need help in your marriage. And he sent us to counseling. He saw something that I was totally unaware of, and I'm grateful for that. And remember, and there, I thought it was like within the first year or the first six months, but Reagan was, ha was born because we had to get child care, remember? And we went for three days to, to like an intensive uh, counseling, and it was the best thing that, that could have ever happened for our marriage. And it was there that I learned, and now you can pick up with me on the notes, that anything worth anything is worth the work. I know that doesn't sound very good English, but that's the way I always say it. Anything that's worth anything is worth the work in marriage and in life. It's kind of like the farmer that had the property that's just gorgeous, beautifully manicured, and his friend comes up and kind of sarcastically says, man, God has really blessed you. And the farmer says, you should have seen it before when God just had it all on his own, right? <laughs> and the reality is it takes a lot of work to make something beautiful. And the same is true with marriage. It's a lot of work. Two sinners learning to make it work day in and day out. And as I, I think about today, and I was sharing yesterday at men's breakfast um, around the table, um, that the stakes are really high when you think about marriage. When I think about talking about marriage, uh, I pray that I don't mess today up because it's serious. I understand that. It's a weighty topic, and it's real. And uh, and whether you're looking for the one or maybe you found him or her 
or maybe, you know, if you're married or not, today we're going to discuss the number one thing that you must know to have a good marriage. How many want to have a good marriage? I know I do. And you say, well, maybe I'm not going to be married or maybe you're, uh, you know, uh, widowed or maybe, uh, you know, whatever the case might be. There's application in relationship, uh, but the primary spot, I think, for this message is in marriage, but it certainly relates to work and uh, your family, with the kids, with your neighbors, in any relationship, the things that we're going to talk about this morning. So uh, if you're married and... uh, I just say we can all do better. Uh, Let's just make that clear. I know I can do better. I'm sure that you can as well. If you plan to be married, you're going to need today's message. If you have zero intention of ever getting married again or ever in period, uh, you still need today's message. And I understand as we move through this that it could be sensitive, and I want to understand that. And I know that there are a lot of mistakes that are made. There's some hurt and pain. And for some, it may be from the past. It may be, you may be facing it today. But I'm asking the Holy Spirit just to help us to understand what he wants us to learn today. And so uh, with that, can we dive into the first point that a good marriage is possible? I want you to know that. That is what God intended. I want you to turn with me to the very beginning of Scripture, Genesis chapter 2. And as you turn there, I'm going to pray, but I want you to see that, in fact, it's exactly what God has called us to do. Uh, A good marriage is possible. And in Genesis 2, we're going to see that after creation, uh, that God calls what he created good. And then he kind of, and then we'll get there in just a second. But let me pray. Lord, I pray just in these next few moments, Lord, that you would help us to grow in our understanding. Help us to, uh, to just be able to apply what's being shared today. God, I pray that you would use me beyond my ability, Lord, to speak to hearts and lives. And God, I pray for those that wish they could be married or that have a desire to be married, for those that are married, those that are struggling. God, I pray just across the board, God, that you would just uh, saturate us with your presence. In Jesus' name, I pray it all. Amen. Amen. And I know I need to move because I got quite a few notes here, but just stick with me, all right? And uh, we're going to make it. In Genesis chapter 2, after creation, six days of work, one day of rest. Hint, hint, sabbatical, right? Just got to get that in there. Uh, When God created stuff, he created it good. In fact, he created it very good. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 33, it says this, God saw all that he had made And it was very good. Everybody say, very good. good. When I see that word, I think amazing. I think awesome. I think jaw-dropping good. Just look at nature. I don't know if you're a nature buff like me, but when I get out in nature, I look at what God has created, and it is amazing, isn't it? And with that, I want us to read in Genesis chapter 2, starting verse 18. It says, The Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts in the field, of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock and the birds of the air and all the beasts of the field. But Adam had no suitable helper 
was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said this, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. He's saying, hubba hubba. He said, she shall be called woman. Why? Because he said, whoa, man. <laughs> For she was taken out of him, and for this reason, uh, he will, uh, a man will, shall leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. All right. Now, everything God created was good. In fact, very good. And marriage is very good as well. That is what God intended. Now, we live in a sin-filled world, Right? And I'm sorry to say that very good is not seen as often as it could be. Let me just ask you, how would you describe the state of marriage today? A little rocky, in trouble, crisis maybe, even within the church, our house here, right? Have you ever heard that Christians divorce at the same rate as non-Christians? You ever heard that? It's actually not 100% true. Uh, there's, been some more, there's been some serious uh, research. Uh, there's a the book called Christians Are Hate-Filled Hypocrites and Other Lies about, That Have Been Told About Christians. And it shows that couples, listen to this, who are active in their faith are actually much less likely to divorce. I, I appreciate this. Catholic couples were 31% less likely to, divor to divorce. Protestant couples, 35 less likely to divorce. And Jewish couples, get this, 97% less likely to divorce, which is by itself quite impressive. Now, what's interesting, by all examples, um, when, you, when you study uh, statistics, I think if you kind of average a few different ideas that are out there in studies, about 30% of Christians who are at least outwardly active with their faith, 30% will, though, end in divorce. That's what the stats show. And that's still not very good. Uh, there's a book um, that Shanti Feldham, uh, she's a trained Harvard professor, uh, trained uh, researcher. Um, she says this, she says 53% of very happy couples agree with this statement that God is at the center of our marriage that it's an important piece. And uh, she gives 10 basic principles. And I didn't know where to fit this in my message, and I, so I just kind of put it in here. I'm going to go through these very quickly and just for food for thought. She says, after 25 years of marriage, uh, this may be helpful to consider as a married couple or even as a single person thinking about getting married and serving or leading a man or woman in covenant love for the rest of their life. And this is, what it's, uh, this is her top 10. Number one, marriage is worth the investment. Number two, you have to invest in a marriage for it to be worth the investment, right? Number three, choosing your marriage partner is the most important human decision you'll ever make. Number four, most fights are over stupid things that don't matter. Ain't that the truth? Number five, most arguments are resolved when both people are more concerned with being in the relationship than with being right. Ooh. <laughs> Number six, Right now, media. Sex is essential to a marriage relationship. Number seven, 
Practices like date nights, long conversations, and long trips make your marriage stronger. Number eight, kids are awesome, but they stress your marriage. (laughs) Number nine, never go to bed angry. And then number 10, this is why I brought this up, you need Jesus. And that's what we're going to focus on this morning. Now back to the state of marriage here. We would all probably acknowledge that it's not very good. It's not necessarily what God has intended in many cases. And so we've got to grapple with how do we fix the problem? How do we address it in our own lives? Or how do we walk with someone else's marriage that may be hanging on by a thread? The question is, is how do we cultivate a very good marriage? That should be the next slide there. You say, well, someone says, well, you should just avoid affairs or avoid divorce. Well, those are not, not the problem. Those are the symptoms. That's really not the root at the issue. There's a problem before the affair or before the divorce. No one wakes up and says, well, I'm going to ruin my marriage today. Talk, we're talking about Samson and uh, men's breakfast, and uh, you know, it was a series of steps, I think 56,000 steps from where Sam- Samson was to the point where he went and got the prostitute, and we, lo- we learned that yesterday morning. I wish I, we could unpack that this morning. It was great. But no husband wakes up and says, ah, I want to be a failure. And no wife says, I want to be unfaithful. But the truth is that even within the church, this is crazy, of men will be unfaithful to their wives. 40% of women will be unfaithful to their husbands. You put those two together, 85% of marriage, this is Barna Research Group, of marriages, 85% of marriages will experience at least one spouse being unfaithful within the life of a marriage. So again, how do we capture or recreate or cultivate a very good marriage. And I think it starts with having a right understanding. A right understanding. When you got married, if you're married, when I got married, it was like green lights, baby. Like all, I mean, there were, it was like tunnel vision. I don't know if you were with me, but there may have been red flares on the other sides, but I didn't see them, Right. I mean, it was like, hey, this is what we're doing. This is great. Uh, You hear things of couples that are getting married. She makes me happy. Or he will never hurt me. Or I will never be alone if we get married. Or we will never struggle. And I'm not sure any couple would say that. But I've seen guys in particular that will say, oh, I struggle in in lust, and once I'm married, uh, I won't struggle there anymore, which is not true. Um, uh, But but there's this fantasy. Pastor Sam Reifgokel, who pastors in Grand Rapids, he says on your wedding day, think about it, the hours you get ready, everyone's on their best behavior, both sides of the family. (laughs) Everybody's looking good at the altar. It's picture perfect. And Sam Reifgokel says, look, that is, is as good as it gets. (laughs) It's a fairy tale. It's kind of a bait and switch, isn't it? It's not reality. And we all get sucked into it at some level. I know Jessica and I did. I was surprised the first two years, saying, what in the world? Who is this beautiful woman? Because 
or she's saying, who is this handsome man? <laughs> Let me stick to my notes. <laughs> I've got a pet peeve. Look, there's a bird, right? <laughs> when someone says, and they're getting married or are married, he completes me or she completes me. I both love that and hate that, all right? Because the truth is, and here's the next slide, a good marriage has nothing to do with what we get from our spouse. This is really important. This is huge. The gifts, the affirmation, the love, the affection, the time, the notes, the flowers, you fill in the blank. A good marriage has nothing to do with what we get from our spouse. But goodness, a very good marriage, comes from what we give to our spouse. Now listen, if we measure very good by what we get, we have misunderstood. We have wrong thinking. We will be disappointed every time. So we can need to go to God's word, which by the way, I'm pro-Bible, and I think when I read the scripture, it's pro-marriage, I'm just saying. And so let's look at the word in Ephesians chapter 5, and we see uh, what God says about marriage. I want to start in verse 21, which some people don't, but look at what verse 21 says. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. A submission, it's equal, it's mutual. Now, when you study the whole book of Ephesians, the Ephesian church, they really struggled with love. And uh, in Paul talks about love in Ephesians more than any other uh, letter uh, to any other church, and, uh, and even more than the love chapter. Uh, he's talking about love all throughout Ephesians. And there's a theme of love, mutual love, but also here, how do you love? It's with mutual submission, the love and respect. If you've ever um, been through that series, it's fantastic. And with that, I want to read a few verses here. And when I read, I want you to look for the things that are related to Christ, that say, just as Christ. And so let's, let's read that, and then, to, then we'll tie it in to Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. But it says this, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, as to Christ. For the husband is the head of the wife as, here we go, Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. But remember, it's not just wives submitting to husbands, it's husbands submitting, it's, it's mutual. Then it goes into the love. Husbands, love your wives, just as, right, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her uh, to him as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. And then it goes on, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. And we'll pause there, and it continues with the same line of thinking. What I see here is that we see as Christ, or just as the Lord. Flip back with me, at least my Bible, to Ephesians chapter 5, the beginning of that chapter. It says, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, 
and live a life of love. Remember, love is a theme throughout Ephesians. Live a life of love uh, just as, that same phrase, just as Christ loved us and he gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Now I want to tie these couple ideas together. This as Christ and he gave as an offering, as a sacrifice to God. And I want to ask a question, what does a successful marriage look like? What is the purpose of marriage? It is being other-focused, not self-focused. It's being outward, not inward. And I would say in any relationship, for me, to imitate God's love, chapter 5, verse 1, is to reflect his love. The goal is to be rooted in what I can give as an offering or as a sacrifice unto God, not what I can give. Are you tracking with me? To give, to give out of my passion for my spouse, to mirror Jesus in that way would mean success. To give forgiveness, to mirror Jesus in that way would cause success. To peace, to mirror Jesus, and you just fill in the blank, to mirror Jesus is going to lead you to success. Jesus was faithful, so I will be faithful. Jesus was loving, so I will be loving. Jesus was forgiving, so I will be forgiving. Jesus was honoring, he was long-suffering, so I will be these things as a reflection, imitating God in my life. Does that make sense? So the idea here is the more we reflect Jesus, we are fulfilling our purpose and we are on our way to very good if we reflect him. Now, J.P. Dorsey is the dean at the Bible College in Grand Rapids. He gives a a metaphor of reflection that I want to use this morning. It's the moon and the sun. What is the moon's job? It's not to create any heat. You would die on the moon. There's no heat there. It's only to reflect the sun. Now, we are to reflect Jesus. Sometimes we think that we're the sun, we're the source, but we're not. We're like the moon. Or our spouse thinks that we should be the sun. We should be providing something that we really can't. But we were never intended to be the Son. We're not to be Jesus. Our role is to reflect Jesus. We are to be the moon. This is huge. A very good marriage reflects God and nothing more. And, again, it is not what I get, but what I give. That makes the difference. It's not getting, oh, I would be happy if my spouse, fill in the blank, if she was happier, or if he had brought a little more peace, or if he was better at this, I would be whatever. No, it's what I can do. And very good flows out of this idea, what J.P. Dorsey calls personal abundance. 
And I really appreciate this. You know, when you look at Ephesians, they struggled with love, like I mentioned. Uh, in Acts chapter 19, uh, the Ephesus church was struggling them. In Revelation, the letter that was written to the church at Ephesus, they had lost their first, what? Love, right? In other words, what w- this idea of personal abundance re- means you have got to work on yourself in regards to your relationships. It's not what someone else can do. What we need is a personal abundance in Christ. Out of 7 billion people or more in the world, no one can complete you. No one can make you whole. No one can fix you. Only Jesus can fix or fill you. Only Jesus can satisfy. Only Jesus can forgive. Only Jesus can love you completely. And if you ask your spouse, or if I ask my spouse, Jessica, or if I expected her to do what only God can do, she will fail every time. Instead, you should be filled, I should be filled to abundance with Jesus, to have a red-hot relationship with the Lord on my side. In John chapter 10, verse 10, it talks about this a little bit. It's an interesting verse when you look at the context. It says, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. How many know that the enemy hates marriages? The thief, he would love to tear down every single marriage that's here. That is for certain. But it says, but I, this is Jesus, I have come that they may have life and have it to abundance. Have it to the full. The thief comes in, but I bring life, Jesus says. And regardless of what my spouse does, I can be full of life and bring that to the table. By the way, in John chapter 7, verse 37 and 39a, look, let's look at this just for a moment. It says, on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, he didn't just whisper this, he says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. We get filled up with Jesus. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. And by this, he meant the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God comes in us and it fills us up. And so the number one question is not who will you marry, but it is are you filled to abundance with Jesus? Be filled with Jesus and then give. And when you do that, I think very good is possible. Even if one party is filled, it still works. Don't give up. And I know that's maybe the case with some that are here. Imitate Jesus. Bring Jesus to the hurt, to the abuse, to the insults, and then give, give, give out of the overflow of your relationship. And then for those that are maybe not in crisis, you say, well, I'm doing okay, but... The big picture is when two people can say, you may not be perfect, but God loves you and I have enough to share with you in your weakness out of the abundance. You may not be grateful in this circumstance, but I've got enough gratefulness. You may not be nice, but I've got enough nice to bring. You may not be giving. I've got enough giving. You may not even be forgiving. I've got enough forgiveness out of the overflow 
And then the list could go on and on. We need to be filled to abundance. Amen? Amen. Our relationship with God needs to be red hot. We're doing okay. But Bobby, why don't you come and prepare? You may be here this morning and you say, man, I'm tired of giving and pouring out in my marriage. I'm ready to throw in the towel. I'm feeling empty. And I want you to remember that you are not the Son. You are not Jesus. You are just intended to reflect Him, to reflect the Son. You cannot give what you do not have. And so I want to encourage us in all of our relationships to be the moon. Be the moon. Just turn to your neighbor and say, be the moon. And for those that are married, I want to say this, and I can't believe I'm going to say this, moon your spouse. (laughs) All the teenage boys say, I can't wait to be married. All the girls, teenagers, just said, that's disgusting. And all the adults said the exact same thing. The guys were like, man, one guy here just said, nailed it. And... (laughs) be the moon. Let's just keep it at that. And remember, the moon is not the sun. Our spouse is not God. All right, now, <laughs> seriously though, <laughs> I want to bring it, be serious. How do we measure success? How do we measure success? This is what Jesus looks like, Ephesians 5.1. Imitate God. And so you should be, need to be, the faithful one, the loving one, the passionate, the peaceful, the joyful, the one that brings honor into the relationship. A very good marriage has nothing to do with what I get, but what I give. And remember this, if we measure by what we get, we will be disappointed because it's not what our spouses were meant to do. Jessica, in my case, is not designed to make me okay or happy for that matter. My purpose is to reflect how God how good God is in my life. I should reflect that and it should be brought into my marriage. The time our marriages have struggled and our marriage has definitely struggled over the years. I want you to know this, church, is that when I think about this, there's always been a spiritual component, something missing, something off track. Either one or both of us We're not reflecting how good God really is. And there have been times, Jessica would stand here and say it with me, there have been times that our marriage has been dry, that our marriage has struggled. And it's not until we fix our spiritual nature that we get traction again. And this morning, I don't know where you are, And I don't know what relationships you're trying to make the connections on this message. But listen, when D.L. Moody was asked, uh, he, he said, when someone asks you, how is your marriage? Don't go ask the pastor. No. He said, ask your spouse. Or ask, for those of you that are here and your kids, ask your parents how you're doing. Or if your kids and your parents are here, you say, ask your kids how your relationship with the Lord is because that really is the true key. In the morning, this morning, 
I want to just acknowledge together before we head on off our desperate need for the Lord. Our deep need for the Lord. Now with everybody's head bowed and eyes closed here this morning, I'm going to ask you two questions. The first question has to do with how well are you reflecting Jesus? Is your life reflecting to the point where someone could look and say, wow, they are abundantly reflecting the Lord. They are reflecting Christ in a super way. And I know there's probably some here that say, yep, that's where I am. I'm doing great today. Thank the Lord for that. But I'm curious how many would just be honest and say, you know, I need to reflect more of Jesus in my life. I want you just to raise your hand right where you are. Just between you and the Lord. Just say, man, I need more of the Lord to be at work in my life. In my life. Yeah. And no matter what the relationship, I need an abundance of Jesus. I just realized that this morning. Lord, help me. You can put your hands down. Now I realized this morning that there may be someone here they can't even figure out that previous question because you are not walking with the Lord. You don't have a relationship with Jesus. And you need the Lord. I just want to say that there's no better decision you can make than to serve the Lord, to trust in Him, to have Him be the Savior of your life. And if you're here today, and either, excuse me, either you're away from the Lord or maybe you've never accepted Jesus as your personal Savior. I want to give you that opportunity. I'm going to ask all the eyes to be open here just for a second. And if that's you, and if you don't know the Lord as your personal Savior, and you're ready to make that decision, the Bible says, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. So we like to do that. How many here would say, man, I need Jesus to be my personal Savior? Anyone here, first service? Yeah, thank you. Young man in the back, anybody else saying, I need the Lord. Maybe I once served Him, I need to come back. Or maybe you've never served Him, and you are understanding your need for the Lord. Who here else? Who else here <laughs> needs the Lord? Lord, I just pray right now for my friend. Lord, I pray that you just bless him, that you would restore his life with you. He would come into right uh, right thinking, Lord, that you would help him, God, to understand uh, his need for you every single day. I pray that you would just uh, restore what has been lost, and God, that you just pour your blessings into his life. God, I thank you for that. And God, I pray that you would also help us to be mindful that there are those around us that need a refresh of you that need a relationship, maybe have never served you. And God, help us to reach one more. God, I pray that in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. And I just want to mention this. we got resources here up front. This will help you. This little book will help you reach someone in your life. I want you to read it and then to pass along to an unbeliever. There's some on the back counter as well. We made these available. But I want to come back to this idea in our lives, of changing our mindset, changing our, our, our understanding, that it is not about what others can do for us, it's what we can bring to the table. And it's out of our 
love for the Lord, our abundance in our lives, and there are lots of hands that went up, I just want us to just close with a final thought here uh, for marriages in particular. And what I'd like to do, if you are here and you are married, I want you to just raise your hand right where you are, all right? <laughs> Don't raise your hand, Logan. <laughs> and I understand that this may put some... And so now I want us, for those that are not married here or are widowed or uh, things, and I understand there's some sensitivity around this, what I want us to do is I want us just to uh, gather up. And I, if you are here and uh, you are not married, I want you just to turn and pray for someone. And we're not going to be able to do this because there's more married than others. Just put your hand on the, on the uh, person next to you. And I want to close in prayer for marriages. And if you're here with your spouse, I want you just to put your arm around your spouse and reach out to, uh, and just to accept this charge here this morning. And the charge is this, to live as a reflection of Jesus. You are not the Savior, but you reflect the Savior. And right now, we pray, I pray for marriages in this room, in particular, where the rubber meets the road. God, I pray that you would bless these marriages. That when we looked at the state of the marriage, God, we could say it is very good because of your work within us. God, help us. Put your hand upon us. And Lord, I pray, God, that you would just do a mighty, mighty work. And God, I pray in particular for those that have lost their spouses or those that are not yet married or have no desire to be married. God, I pray that in every circumstance, every relationship, that we would reflect Christ as well. And we pray this. And now, Lord, I pray that you would just go before us, behind us, and all around us. We pray it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen and amen and amen. God bless you. I want you to turn and greet one another this morning as you leave. Thank you for being here. We love.